You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture reading is found in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. God's Dispute with Israel Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains, let the hills hear your voice. Hear, mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear, eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against his people with Israel he will argue. My people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. My people, remember what Moab's king, Balak, had planned and how Balaam, Beor's son, answered him? Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal, that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. What does the Lord require? With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with, one, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. The word of God for the people of God. Let's sing the reprise of More Lights. More light, more truth is breaking from your word. More light, more truth. Holy Spirit, help us hear what needs to be heard. Help us hear what needs to be heard. Help us hear what needs to be heard. So when the covenant of marriage breaks down between two people, it often leads the two of them into divorce court. If the covenant of marriage is a covenant, then what happens when the covenant between God and God's people, the people of Israel, breaks down? Is there some kind of cosmic divorce court that handles that case? Our scripture text this morning says that it will be the mountains and the hills who hear the arguments of a lawsuit between God and God's people. 
prophet Micah says, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. This text is called the prophetic covenant lawsuit in which Micah addresses the broken relationship between God and the people of Israel. Now the book of Micah is only six chapters long. It's almost entirely about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, which God will allow because of corrupt leadership. Theologian Jin Yang Kim says the prophet Micah asks a crucial question. In the midst of injustice and violence in the 8th century BCE Judean society, the question, what does God expect of you? This is a key question for the people of Israel who must come before God when their relationship with them and God has been broken. This entire book, though it is short, shares the prophet Micah's observations of violence and injustice in Judean society of that day. Micah paints a picture of political exploitation, of economic exploitation, of the powerful taking advantage of the weak and oppressing them. This is injustice. Now, the structure of this final chapter of the book talks about God's lawsuit against the people who have broken the covenant. But it's not just about punishment. It's not just about divorcing. It is instead about how to reconcile, how to bring this broken covenant relationship together with God and with neighbor. In the New Testament, Jesus is asked what is the most important law? And he answers, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is a rabbi standing in his faith tradition when he answers that our most important law of all of them is to maintain the covenant relationship between ourselves and God and also our neighbors. We cannot have a right relationship with God If we do not also have a right relationship with our neighbors, if we are oppressing them, if we are taking advantage of them for economic or political reasons, we are not in right relationship with our neighbors. And if we are not in right relationship with our neighbors, then we are not in right relationship with God. The text from Micah today emphasizes that how we treat our neighbors reflects on how we are in relationship with God. So who is this prophet Micah? Why is this message worth paying attention to? He was a resident of a small village in the foothills of Judah, was southwest of Jerusalem. This means that Micah was living in the shadow of a great city upon a hill, And this city was casting a long shadow and oppressing those in it. This allowed Micah to have a sensitivity for the sufferings of the poor. And we see this in the way that he is championing those who are oppressed. In his speeches, he addresses those in Jerusalem, our ancestors of faith. For better or worse, this is part of our history. Micah wants to remind his listeners, first those early Israelites and now us who hear this text read again today, that there is unity in our covenant with God when we also 
are in right relationship with our neighbors. The people of Jerusalem in that day had missed the boat on caring for others. And because of that, they had broken their relationship with God. Jerusalem's focus had turned inward on themselves and their own prosperity, ignoring those who lived in the shadow of their city. They had no concern for those who were hungry and hurting and feeling helpless. Micah's prophecy is divine instruction on how the people of Jerusalem were called to live and to worship God. Worship was not only about those rituals that happened in the temple, because people in Jerusalem were keeping up with those, those sacrificial calves, those rivers of oil, even dedicating their children in the temple. But they were not living out their faith. Micah says here that you would see their faith lived out if only they were doing justice, if only they were loving kindness, if only they were walking humbly with God. I believe Micah was defining worship as more than the rituals of the tradition in the temple. He was instead offering worship as a way of life. When he names justice and kindness and walking humbly, it is not one more set of religious duties to follow. It is instead an orientation of our hearts and the way we live in this world. To walk humbly with God means that we walk alongside God. We are graced by God's presence in our lives. God encourages us and teaches us and wants us to walk on right paths. And this is expressed in the kindness that we extend to others who are human. To walk humbly with God means to be fully alive in all that comes in our lives. To accept with joy all that comes to us. We do not save ourselves by living by the words of Micah 6, 8. It is God's grace that saves us. And we respond to this grace by then living a life that is marked by kindness and mercy and humility. Now, many of us at Central, many here in this room, had the privilege to know Pete Coleman, who was a longtime member of our congregation. He's now claimed his place in the great cloud of witnesses. And Hebrews tells us that he is now cheering us on as we run the race of life. Pete frequently quoted this exact scripture as the guiding principle of his life. Pete loved the Lord, and he responded to that love by embodying kindness, mercy, and humility. Simply being kind is all too rare these days. Next weekend, I'll be officiating a funeral for a woman in the community who I did not know. And when I asked her family to tell me about her, the very first thing each of them said was, she was so kind. Theologian Hyung Kyung Chung once said, the Bible is a reference. You are the text. We describe the Bible as the word of God, but what Hung Hyung Chung is saying is that we and our actions are the message of God to this world. The way that we live is the Bible that many people will read. They won't pick up a book off the shelf. They won't read the scripture text online, but they will see the scripture alive in us. 
St. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Our actions are the message. And they should be the message of God. The prophet Micah offered up a vision for a life lived from this godly perspective. It is not one more obligatory sacrifice. It is not one more list of things to do to be a good human. It is instead a reflection of the God that we worship alive in us. When we are kind to others, it is an expression of our faith. So this week, as those who are here in person came in, I hope you got your prayer practice for the week. For those who are worshiping at home, you can find this on Facebook, or you can go to the church website, C-U-M-C-B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N.org. And you'll see an encouragement to practice kindness. There's a couple of suggestions on what you might do, and then a daily prayer to encourage you to stay focused on kindness as your expression of God's faith in you, and for this world. We might not think that the little things we do make a difference. I want to tell you a story that was included in the book, A Window on the Mountain, written by Winston Pierce. He tells the true story of going to his high school reunion. And while he was there, his group of classmates were sharing memories of the good old days. And in that group, there was a man named William, and he mentioned how particularly thankful he was for Mrs. Went. She had introduced him to the beautiful gift of poetry, particularly to Tennyson, who had become an important part of his life. And he said, she really changed my life with her class. And someone in that group suggested, well, then why don't you write her a thank you note? I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. And so William wrote a letter of appreciation to Mrs. Went. He sent it to the high school because he didn't know where she lived. And the letter eventually made its way to Mrs. Went. About a month later, the man received a response and it was written as follows. My dear William, I cannot tell you how much your letter meant to me. I am now in my 90s, living alone in a small room, cooking my own meals, lonely, like the last leaf of fall lingering behind. You will be interested to know that I taught school for 40 years, and yours is the first letter of appreciation I have ever received. It came on a blue, cold morning, and it cheered me as nothing has for years. William, you have made my day. So let us live this week in a way that the gospel is alive And that it makes someone else say, you have made my day. Amen.